0: Welcome to Crime, Colts, and Coffee. I'm Brynn. And this week, I feel so strange recording this on my own because this is the first week of Crime, Colts, and Coffee podcast that I am doing this by myself. So hopefully, all goes well. A little nervous, but I'll try to make the conversation as smooth as possible, even though I. Have no one to converse with i'll pretend i'm talking to you all and as mr beans and rat race would say i am completely alone anyway i will get into my coffee review for this week and then i'll discuss what i'm reading watching listening to as we always do in past episodes today's coffee i am drinking is from panera and it is a iced cinnamon crunch latte with almond milk i am going to tell two perspectives of this coffee because i have to say when i first picked up this coffee from panera i had high expectations and i have never had coffee from panera but i've heard that their coffee is pretty good And because it's an iced cinnamon crunch and I love cinnamon in my coffee, I figured, wow, this is going to be really amazing. So, I got it and at first, I was fully prepared to give a review of slight displeasement. (laughs) I was not grossed out by it. I was not hating it, but I wasn't loving it. I was probably going to give it about a 5 because I felt like it was kind of just blah almost a little tasteless and then I let it sit for about 30 minutes because I had to get shit done before I actually came to record and after it's sitting for a little while and I guess I guess self-brewing a bit or marinating if you will I really like it now and the cinnamon I think has kind of seeped into the coffee a bit more. I thought earlier that it was like there was no sweetness to it and I don't like sweet coffee, I've said that in past episodes, but like I said it was kind of just blah and because the cinnamon had a chance to settle or seep into the coffee more, I think that I would now rate this around a 7. I did not like that there was whipped cream on top, but that was my bad. I now know for the future not to have that, but I almost feel like it was kind of a cold brew with cold foam. If anyone listening has ever had that, you know if you let it sit for a little bit and the cold foam just kind of seeps into the coffee and mix like situates it a bit more than just sitting on the top. It was kind of like that with the cinnamon. So yes, my review changed over the course of a half an hour from five coffee beans to seven. And that has never happened to me before, so maybe let your coffee sit a little bit before you go ahead and judge it. So I will be trying other coffees from Panera, giving them a shot, and seeing what their other flavors are like. And the fact that I also was able to get a yummy uh, bread bowl of soup from them was also a plus. So yeah. Moving on to anything I'm reading, watching, or listening to. I am not listening to anything new, no recommendations there. I am still on the same book that I've been reading since my trip to Wizarding World because I have not had time to finish it yet, but I'm hoping to finish that this weekend and then I can give everyone a final thought on what I kind of thought about that book. In regards to watching, I'm still watching The Walking Dead. I feel like I've been saying this forever, but then again, the show's been going on forever. But I am in the final season, and I'm about halfway through, and I'm really sad for it to end. Anyone else who watches The Walking Dead, I'm sure you feel my pain there. But we all know we have a little bit more coming for us, so we'll see how that goes. And without further ado, I don't want to drag this on too much, but I'm going to get into our case and it is a little bit of a longer one, I'll try not to rush through it. And hopefully you enjoy even without the banter, we'll see how this goes. (laughs) For future reference, I am keeping our tagline because it has been the same since the beginning and that way I won't have to change it each time I have a guest co-host on. Not to mention, I figured the phrase us can kind of be used to describe the podcast as a whole, so we'll just go with it. So grab your coffee and have a morning with us. Today's case that I'm going to be covering is that of the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. A little bit of background about the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. They were also known as, quote unquote, the Phantom Killer. The Phantom Slayer, the Moonlight Murderer, and the Texarkana Phantom Killer. This took place over a ten-week period in the weekends between February twenty-second, nineteen forty-six, and May third, nineteen forty-six. The attacks happened at night in Bowie County, Texas, and Miller County, Arkansas. This was quote unquote in and around Texarkana. According to Wiki, Texarkana is, quote, a two-county region anchored by the twin cities of Texarkana, Texas and Texarkana, Arkansas, and encompassing surrounding communities in Bowie County, Texas and Miller County, Arkansas. There were four separate attacks over this period of time, and the first three happened at Lover's Lanes and or secluded areas in Texas. The fourth happened at a farmhouse in Arkansas. Male or female pairs or couples were the ones that were targeted. So getting into the attacks and the murders and just so everyone knows there is a trigger warning here just because a lot of these happenings include graphic detail. So if you don't want to hear the details of how people were found or what happened to them. Do not listen to this week's case. Friday, February twenty second, nineteen forty six. The first attack happened around eleven forty five p.m. Jimmy Hollis, who was twenty five, and his girlfriend Mary Jean Larry, who was nineteen, parked on a secluded road. This road was known as a lovers' lane and they had just come from seeing a movie. And I had read in one article and also heard in a video that they went to a movie with another couple. About 10 minutes later, so around 11.55 p.m., a man appeared at Jimmy's door on the driver's side. He shone a flashlight in the window, and Jimmy told him that he had the wrong person. The man then said, quote, I don't want to kill you, fellow, so do what I say. This man was wearing a white cloth mask, and it looked like a pillowcase with eyes cut out. The man told Jimmy and Mary to get out of the car, and they were both forced to climb out the driver's side. Jimmy was then told to, quote, take off his goddamn britches, which he did. Which had to have been absolutely terrifying for him, I cannot even imagine. Jimmy was then hit in the head twice with a pistol, even after doing what the guy said. When Jimmy had been hit, Mary actually thought that he had been shot because of how hard he was hit. So, the sound of this gun hitting his head, she literally thought was a shot going off. And with how hard he was hit, Jimmy's skull was actually fractured from the blows, and he was knocked unconscious. At some point, Mary also showed the man Jimmy's wallet to validate that they had no money to give. She was under the assumption that they were being robbed, which I can completely see in a situation like that why she would jump to that conclusion. So Mary was then hit with a blunt object and ordered to stand back up. Upon standing, the man told her to run up the road. Mary found an old car that was parked off the side of the road but it was empty and this happened as she was running. The man then caught up to Mary and asked why she was running. She said he told her to and he called her a liar, knocked her down, and sexually assaulted her with the barrel of the gun. This is me speculating. I just feel like and this is so strange to not be like having this conversation with someone right now but I'm still gonna just tell my thoughts in case anyone cares. I feel like those man's actions spoke a lot in what he just did with him telling her to do something and then taking it back and being like, you're a liar. I never told you to do that and acting crazed because of it. I feel like that was either him being a complete sadist and getting off on the fact that he's pretending he didn't tell her he, to do anything or he which he clearly had something mentally wrong to be able to do something like this but he might have had some kind of mental issue or dissociative characteristic where maybe he literally didn't remember saying that so I just felt like that stood out to me with speaking about maybe part of the profile of how this guy was so after Mary was sexually assaulted She then ran from him again, and she went a half mile, or 800 meters, until she reached a house nearby. Luckily, the homeowners woke up and allowed her to use their phone to call the police. I feel like that could have gone badly in a lot of different ways. And thank God, she was allowed to go in the house, she called the police. And in the meantime, Jimmy Hollis had woken up from being hit in the head. He was able to stop a motorist that was passing by, and they called the police as well. Keep in mind, this is the 1940s, so they probably had to drive a good distance to find a phone to call the police. Approximately 30 minutes later, Bowie County Sheriff W.H. or Bill Presley and three officers got to the scene. The man was gone, and Mary Jean Larry had a minor head wound. She was hospitalized overnight. Jimmy Hollis had multiple skull fractures and had to be hospitalized for multiple days. When interviewed about the man that attacked them, Jimmy and Mary gave somewhat deferring accounts. Jimmy said the guy was around 30 and a tanned white man. He could not really give more than that appearance-wise, and he said he had been blinded by the flashlight, so that was his reasoning besides probably trauma, for not being able to really give more on what the guy looked like. Mary described him as a light-skinned African-American man, and they both said he was about 6 feet or 1.8 meters tall. Some of the officers believed that the two actually knew their assailant and were covering for him. There was no explanation in articles as to why the officers that believed this did or what made them lean towards that aside from the deferring descriptions between the couple. But I feel like that's a pretty big leap, especially to accuse someone of after they just endured a traumatic experience like that. So I just found that kind of crazy. But the deferring descriptions could be explained by things other than knowing him, I feel. First of all, as I mentioned, they endured a traumatic situation. Second of all, we, bo- we all know that they both had head injuries. And when it came to Jimmy, a severe head injury, he had a fractured skull. And not to mention that people can remember or describe situations differently especially in a traumatic event like that so i feel like there were so many other things that could have explained their deferring description from the small difference there was and why they might have seen this man differently in that situation other than they knew him and wanted to cover for him i thought that was a little absurd but that's just my opinion So, moving on to Sunday, March 24th, 1946, that morning, Richard L. Griffin, who was 29, and Polly Ann Moore, who was 17, were found dead. They were parked in Richard's car on a lover's lane, 100 yards or 91 meters south of U.S. Highway 67 West in Texas. A motorist saw the parked car and stopped to check on the occupants, and at first they actually thought that the couple was asleep in the car. So again, trigger warning, the graphic detail on how they were found is going to be talked about, so please do not listen to this episode if you do not want to hear it. Richard was between the front seats on his knees, and his head was on his crossed hands. His pockets were inside out, and he had been shot twice in the car, once in the back of the head. Polly Ann was sprawled face down in the back seat, and she had also been shot once in the back of her head. Both Polly Ann and Richard were fully dressed. And evidence may show that she was actually murdered on a blanket outside of the car and placed inside after. There was a patch of ground near the car that was blood-soaked. And some articles suggest that both victims could have actually been murdered outside of the vehicle and placed back in after. But the majority that I read suggested that specifically Pollyann could have been. A 32 caliber cartridge casing was also located and congealed blood covered the running board of the car and went through the bottom of the car door, which is fucking awful and goes to show how absolutely brutal the murder of these two people was. Richard and Polly Ann had been dating for six weeks at the time of their murder. Sunday, April 14th, 1946, around 1.30 a.m., Paul Martin, who was 17, had picked up Betty Jo Booker, who was 15. She had been at the VFW Club, West 4th and Oak Street, for a musical performance. Around 6.30 a.m., Paul's body was found on the northern edge of North Park Road. He was on his left side and had been shot four times. He had been shot through his nose, through his ribs from the back, through the back of his neck, and through his right hand. Blood was found by a fence on the other side of the road as well. Around 1130 a.m., Betty Joe's body was found by a search party. She was almost two miles, or 3.2 kilometers, from where Paul was found. She was on her back and behind a tree, and her right hand was posed in her pocket of her buttoned overcoat. She was fully dressed and had been shot two times, once in the chest and once in the face. Both Paul and Betty Jo had put up a horrific fight, which again makes this just even more terrifying to know that not only did they die the way they did and potentially were posed the way they were and had to endure losing their life being executed like that. The fact that they were fighting for their lives beforehand and who knows how long this went on for is just absolutely sickening. Paul's car was found outside Spring Lake Park and this was three miles or 4.8 kilometers from Betty Joe and 1.55 miles, or 2.49 kilometers, from where he was. The keys were still in the car, but Betty Joe's saxophone that she had played in the musical performance that night was missing. Police determined the weapon to be a 32 caliber automatic Colt pistol. So same caliber weapon as the last murder that was discussed. Friday, May 3rd, 1946, before 9pm, and there's no specific idea of exactly when this happened, but they know it was sometime before 9 Virgil Starks, who was 37 years old, and his wife Katie, who was 36, were at home. They lived off of Highway 67 East on a 500-acre farm and this was about 10 miles, or 16 kilometers, northeast of Texarkana. Virgil was relaxing in his home, sitting in an armchair reading the newspaper, when all of a sudden the unthinkable happened. He was shot twice in the back of the head. Not only that, but the shots had come through a closed double window. Katie ran in the room after hearing the noise and saw a horrific sight. Virgil had stood up and then slumped back down in his chair, passing away from his wounds. That is just so beyond horrific and traumatizing. I cannot imagine what that woman went through seeing... Not only seeing her husband and seeing him stand and then fall back down and just pass, but running into the room not even knowing what the fuck happened. Like, she heard the sound of a smashing window and probably another sound which was a gunshot but who would imagine that it would be a gunshot that's just so disturbing katie then called the police from a wall crank phone because remember we're in the 1940s while calling she was then shot twice in the face through the same window however this did not kill katie she could barely see due to her own blood in her eyes but she went to get a pistol from another room in the house. She then ended up running barefoot out the front door and across the street to her brother and sister-in-law's house, which is so great that they live right there, but no one was home. She decided to flee because she had heard the killer at the back of the house. She then ran to a neighbor's home, since her brother and sister-in-law weren't home, this neighbor was A.V. Prater, and thankfully, they were there. Katie said, quote, Virgil's dead and collapsed. Prater got another neighbor to come help, Elmer Taylor. Elmer went and got his car, and he and the Prater family took Katie to Michael Meager Hospital. By some miracle, Katie survived, and... When she was in the hospital, she was questioned by Miller County Sheriff W.E. Davis about the events that happened that night. Money and Katie Stark's purse were discovered to have not been taken from the home, so that wasn't a motive and police kind of ruled that out where they're like, okay, this person did not go here to rob them, clearly, because nothing like that was taken. Also, a flashlight was found at the crime scene. After these attacks and murders took place, you can guess the response of the communities and surrounding areas. Hysteria ensued and people were worried about a serial killer and were completely terrified, rightfully so. Curfews were put in place for some businesses and people were encouraged to not be out at night. It was common during this time period for houses to just be unlocked And this began to change for them and the citizens of that area. Doors were locked. People purchased or made sure to have guns or axes in their homes for protection. Some nailed sheets over their windows or nailed the windows completely shut. And this is a quote from Wiki. Quote, The day after Starks' death, stores sold out of locks, guns, ammunition, window shades and venetian blinds additional items of which sales increased included window sash locks screen door hooks night latches and other protective devices guard dogs were sought in local want ads and this chaos and panic faded after about three months according to articles and news reports Moving on to the investigations, as there were four separate events, there were many different officers and levels of enforcement involved, and this included state, federal, you name it. So some investigators included William Hardy Bill Presley, who was the Bowie County Sheriff, Jackson Neely Jack Runnels, who was the Texarkana, Texas Chief of Police, Max Andrew Tackett, who was Arkansas State Police Detective, Tillman Byron Johnson, who was the Miller County Chief Sheriff's Deputy, W.E. Davis, who was the Miller County Sheriff, and Manuel Trezazas Lone Wolf González, a Texas Ranger Captain. As mentioned earlier, in regards to the Hollis-Larry attack, which was the first attack, Law enforcement questioned Larry's version of the story and suggested that the two knew who their attacker was. With the Richard Griffin and Polly Ann Moore murders, a citywide investigation was launched. The Texas and Arkansas City Police, the Texas Department of Public Safety, who was the overseeing agency of the Texas Rangers, Miller and Cass County Sheriff's Departments, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, or the FBI, were all involved. In regards to Richard and Pollyann's murders, over 200 people were questioned. Around 200 false leads were also investigated. Three people had been taken into custody but were cleared. The Paul Martin and Betty Jo Booker murders also brought questioning of many people, This included family, friends, acquaintances. There were also a few persons of interest that were questioned and cleared. Some were from as far as 100 miles or 160 kilometers away. So they were looking far and wide. This is a quote from Wiki, quote, May 9th, a mobile radio station arrived with 20 Arkansas State Police Officers and a fleet of 10 prowl cars equipped with two-way radios to help coordinate the growing investigation. May 11, 1946, officers publicly connected the first attack of Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean Larry to the murders that had followed. Also on the 11th, a teletype machine was installed in Bowie County Sheriff's Office, and this was so they could communicate with other Um, sheriff's offices and police stations in the area which is really cool that they were already doing that in the 1940s different tactics were used by law enforcement to try to bait or catch the killer some officers sat as decoys with a quote-unquote partner or even a mannequin in the car with them teenagers were also brought to sit in cars with officers waiting nearby which is super sketchy i don't know if i like that There were officers that even hid in trees at Spring Lake Park. And blockades were set up on Highway 67 East. Some people also scarily took things into their own hands. Some teens parked on roads trying to catch the killer. No thank you. I think that (sighs) either way, whether police are waiting nearby or not is super fucking sketchy. But the fact that some of these teenagers were like, oh, I'll just sit here with no police backup and take it upon myself to catch this killer is really scary. And I wonder what your parents were thinking you were doing because you're supposed to be on lockdown with, with, from being anywhere, and I let alone on a lover's lane trying to catch a killer. Investigators initially hesitated to connect Virgil Stark's murder to the previous crimes, and the gun that was used to kill Virgil and that had wounded Katie was a twenty two caliber and potentially an automatic rifle. So this is why they were kind of hesitating to connect the two because this obviously differed from the other crime scenes. November 1948, Virgil Stark's murder was no longer connected to the other murders and attacks. Some still speculate and can't be sure whether they actually were connected. So there's still a lot of debate about that. And I think probably deferring opinions, not only between the public, but probably within law law enforcement as well. And it was stated that it was no longer connected, though. Moving on to some suspects. Eventually, rumors began to spread that the killer had been caught and this was false and stressed by investigators that it was not true, which obviously they did not want people thinking that the killer was caught. They wouldn't want people letting their guard down or just passing around false information. Innocent people were also being accused by the public of being the killer, which was also obviously an issue and addressed by law enforcement. González gave the following profile of the killer, quote, a shrewd criminal who had left no stone unturned to conceal his identity and activities. Also, quote, cunning individual who would go to all lengths to avoid apprehension. The perp was also described as being an expert with a gun, and throughout the investigations of the Texarkana Moonlight Murders, around 400 suspects were arrested. Here are some top suspects regarding this case. So I'm gonna go through a whole list right now, and then there's also plenty more where that came from, but we are going to cover the top suspects. First, there was UL Swinney, who was 29. He was a car thief and counterfeiter. The night of the Griffin Moore murders, a car had been stolen in the area. A previously stolen car had also been found abandoned. Swinney's wife, Peggy, confessed that Swinney was the phantom killer. However, details she gave changed over interviews and police thought she might be withholding information. So I think that there's, and again, this is me speculating. I think that there's many different reasons that details could have changed over the interviews. And it was also validated in articles that some police thought this way as well, that she could have been changing this information because of out of fear. If he really was the killer, she might have been fearful for her own life or potentially out of incriminating herself or she was lying. So all those different perspectives kind of went around with that. But some details of her confession were verified by police, like the location of one victim's discarded possessions, which how the fuck would she know that if he didn't do it? Peggy ended up recanting her confession and wouldn't testify against Swinney. Swinney was subsequently never charged with any of the murders, but went to prison for being a repeat offender for car theft. So that's kind of how they kept him in jail, locked away. Then there was Henry Booker Duty Tennyson, who was 18. November 4th, 1948, he died from suicide. He left cryptic instructions that led to a suicide note, and the note confessed to the murders. No evidence was found linking Tennyson to the murders. The only connection he had was to Betty Jo Booker and they had been in the same high school band but weren't friends. So they kind of like knew each other in crossing. Maybe they didn't even know each other, they just happened to be in the same band at one point. A friend of Tennyson named James Freeman also provided an alibi in regards to the night of Virgil Stark's murder. So that definitely ruled him out within that one. Ralph B. Bauman, who was 21. He was an ex-Army Air Force machine gunner. He said he woke up from a fugue state the day of the Starks' murder. He claimed to have been in this state for weeks, and he also said his rifle was missing when he came out of this state. May 23rd, he told police he thought he might be the Phantom, and he was arrested, but his story didn't really match up with certain aspects, so that kind of maybe not cleared him completely, but ruled him out and or he was never able to be charged for it. Another suspect was a saxophone peddler. Police thought Betty Jo Booker's missing saxophone might lead them to a suspect. They were already kind of thinking of different ways they could potentially catch someone and the missing saxophone happened to be one of them. April 27th, a man had tried to sell a saxophone to a music store in Corpus Christi, Texas. He fled when questioned by the store manager and he was then arrested and questioned. The saxophone he had was gone but police found a bag of bloody clothing in his hotel room. The man was cleared after days of questioning. But what the fuck was with the bloody clothes? I'm still asking the same question because there was no more information on that. So why did this man have a bag of bloody fucking clothes? And where did he ditch a saxophone and why? There's so many questions with that one. October 24th, 1946, which was six months after Betty Joe's murder, Her saxophone was found in underbrush near where her body had been found. So, the saxophone ended up being found. So, regardless, that wasn't her saxophone, but why was he so sketchy about it and where did it go? Another suspect was a German prisoner of war. Another was an unknown hitchhiker. Another was an Atoka County suspect in Oklahoma. And then there was one known as quote-unquote Sammy. So, Sammy was a pseudonym given by police to a Texarkana resident, and tire tracks from his car were found across the road from Paul Martin's body. Not only this, he failed a polygraph, but when hypnotized by a psychiatrist, he said he pulled his car over to urinate and then went to see a woman that he was having an affair with. The psychiatrist determined that this hidden info had made him fail the polygraph. So that was their perspective or theory regarding the failed polygraph was this hidden information about having an affair with someone and not saying it in the first place was why he failed. Regardless, because of that, he was cleared. And I don't know if that could have just been a good excuse. I don't know if that hypnotizing could have been real or not, but I feel like there's a lot of speculation around that and that's why he still comes up as a main suspect within this case and is someone that townspeople and or people who are in the rumor mill lean towards him a little still. Another suspect was a taxi driver. A cab was seen in the area of the Booker Martin murders, but this taxi driver was cleared. And then aside from that, there are many more, but most are speculations and local rumor. There was one man in specific who you don't have to dig around to find information about, but the circumstances to this man's death and the fact that he's put in as a suspect and that it ties into rumor and speculation, I didn't really want to go deep into that one because this could be an innocent man who tragically lost his life that is being placed into the mix. So we'll leave it at that. If you want to go look at that on your own, feel free, but that's why I didn't include more names within the suspect list. So many things have come out covering or in reference to the Texarkana Moonlight murders or the Phantom Killer over the years. There are films, books, plays, TV shows, etc. based on the case. And as of now, this case has still not been officially solved. So that is where we leave off with this Texarkana moonlight murder and the people who tragically lost their lives within this case when just going for a little drive or a sit on lover's lane with their significant other Or in the last case, they were just sitting in their home, unwinding for the night, relaxing, reading the newspaper, enjoying each other's company, and this tragedy happened. Hopefully one day our good friend DNA will be able to come through or something. Hopefully things were preserved well enough and that there's enough to go with to bring someone to justice even if they're not around anymore to pay for it or be held accountable for it. I just find this so awful and so sad and there's just so much information in regards to this case and not enough answers when you when you truly get down to it. So I hope everyone enjoyed this week's episode with me by myself. I feel like it's hard to say the word enjoy because the things that we talk about on this podcast are absolutely horrific and I truly wish they didn't exist to have to talk about, but because they do, it is only right to tell the stories of these people who tragically lost their lives or these people who tragically fought through something and even surviving it is just a horrific experience, but their stories deserve to be told and the least I can do is honor them by doing so. So without further ado, I think I will get into the spiel because I don't know what else to say at the end of this podcast today besides I hope you enjoyed it and I hope it's not too weird with me by myself. If it is, please reach out and let me know because I will try to figure something else out. And if it's not, let me know so you give me some reassurance because I love you guys and I want you to keep listening and I want to keep sharing these stories and connecting with families and bringing Laura to these families and I want to keep CCC going. So give me some feedback anyway into the spiel we go you can find ccc on instagram where i post pics of coffee reviewed the cases that came out this week we have a bunch of information in our highlights all the way back to episode one the link tree in our bio also has all the listening platforms i probably could update that even a little bit more because i'm pretty sure we're on more platforms than that at this point but Most of the platforms that we're on is included in the link tree. Follow us on Facebook at Crime Cults and Coffee. That's where I put the resources, photos, links, call to action for that week with the episode that we cover. And right now I'm a tiny bit behind just because of having to resituate everything, so bear with me because I know some people like to look back at the photos connected to the case, any videos connected to the case that are included in the episode, I make sure to link there. And then any calls to action as well can always be found in our show notes, so check that out too. If you have a listener story or case suggestion... Email me at Coffee or DM me on Instagram. I've been getting so many case suggestions and I love it. And I just got a listener story from someone which will hopefully be coming out in next week's episode. So keep them coming, especially since like, I need some interaction with people now. Also, if you would be so kind and please be kind, On Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any listening platform that allows you to do so, if you could please leave a rate and review for the podcast, that'd be awesome. I love seeing your feedback. Again, just be nice about it. If you have constructive criticism for me, send it my way. I'll take it. I can handle it as long as you're nice about it. And I'd prefer if you are giving super, super detailed, like, I hate when you do this. I hate when you do that. Message me or email me (laughs) so we can have a conversation and I can figure it out. If you are listening on a platform that doesn't allow you those options, you can like, you can follow, you can subscribe, and that will let you know when new episodes come out each week. And until next week, I hope you (laughs) are here next week. And I love you and have a good one. Bye.